You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have on Chris Felton. Chris is a founder and principal of his own financial services business, which he started in 1999. Today, he leads and trains over 220 agents with over 30,000 clients. And because of this, he's been featured in Forbes, Fortune, MarketWatch, NASDAQ.com, Yahoo Finance, US and World Day Report, and a top leader in one of the largest financial services in the United States. Chris is also co-author of Couples Money, a book which he wrote with his wife, Marlo, which explains how they were able to quadruple their business in a few short years during the recession and overcome some serious financial troubles. So I'm going to stop right there and just say, Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Awesome to be with you, man. Super excited to uh, share this time with you and your audience. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Pistachio. Okay. Okay. I like pistachio. And you know, you're the, I think you're the only person that's said that so far too. Yeah. Well, p- pistachio with chocolate chip, if I had to go, that's, that's my go-to. Okay. Cause we usually, we usually ask about toppings. So you are a toppings person, huh? Yeah. 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 What about cone or bowl? Cone. Okay. Nothing better than a good waffle cone. A waffle cone. Amen. Yes. So tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Yeah. So I'm a financial services entrepreneur and my purpose on the planet is uh, to uh, help people free themselves mentally and financially so they can live an amazing life. And so I do that through um, coaching, teaching, training, mentoring uh, other financial services entrepreneurs um, on that side of our business. Our mission is to stamp out and eradicate financial illiteracy in the United States. So the, the number one economic problem in the world is financial literacy. So we're on a huge mission on that love front. It. I yeah. love it. We typically ask where your real estate journey began, but I think you have a better story. So can you tell us, how did you get into this industry? Where did you start? It all stems back to you know growing up in, uh, in Loveland, Colorado, which is 60 miles north of Denver to you know, two amazing parents that they didn't know how money worked, Matt. They argued over money and fought and stressed and divorced. And, you know, 60% of divorces are tied back to financial stress, which is, you know, what, why we wrote our book, Couples Money. But, you know, I just turned 50. My parents told me to, you know, go to school, get good grades, get a good job with good benefits. Don't rock the boat. Don't take risk. And when you're 65, everything's going to turn out okay. And uh, we know that doesn't work. And we know it doesn't work because uh, you're probably where Matt, 96% of Americans retire broke. And uh, so the model's broke, but I went to Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado, got an accounting degree. I moved down to Denver in 93 and uh, went to work for what was then uh, the largest accounting firm in the world at that time called Arthur Anderson. And uh, then they met Enron and imploded. And that was after I left, by the way. So I didn't have anything to do with that. But I was just, you know, trading time for money, 70, 80, 90 hours a week, climbing the corporate ladder. That's what everyone else is doing. And then looked at the guy that was 10 years ahead of me. And I just decided it was time to make a change. And the falling out point was I worked 120 hours in a six day period, almost missed Easter Sunday with my mom, which I might not be here, you know, if, uh, if I would have missed Easter Sunday with my mom, but, um, 
yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I sat down and I started really doing the thing that I didn't want to do, which was think. And, um, and, and I grabbed the book, think and grow rich, <laughs> notice the order and just started really thinking about what I wanted out of my life. I'm a big fan of pad of paper drawing. Um, what do I want? Like, what is your ideal life? And I think most people run around their entire lives. They don't know, you know, really what they want. And, and so people, you know, it, everyone's always coming to me, Hey, you're CPA financial guy, you know, tell me what to do. And I'm like, what do you want? And they don't know what they want. And they don't, they can't even define financial independence, let alone have the tools to get there. So anyway, so I got really clear on what I wanted but, and I got excited about it because I was actually uh, dreaming again, which is, you know, another in interesting question I ask people is, you know, are you dreaming? I get really weird looks because we used to and we, we lose track of them. We, we let them go. We settle in. We arrive safely at death and uh, with regrets. And so I, I, I got clear at what I wanted and I knew the connection was, you know, I had to have my money working for me and I had to be an entrepreneur. So long and the short of it, I, I ended up uh, having a conversation with uh, two of my other partners at Anderson and uh, one of the, one of my partner's brothers and started his own business from scratch and was out cash flowing us about four to one and working half the time. And so we got introduced to uh, our industry and financial services investment advisory. And, um, you know, then I started doing this uh, part-time moonlighting. So 70, 80 hours a week as a CPA, five to 10 hours a week. And then I, I launched, uh, you know, full-time in February, 2000. So, um, and haven't looked back. So firing my boss and, and uh, never regretted it a day. You, you mentioned something there about clarity. So I um, like to say that clarity is the most important thing that you can have. If you don't know where you're going, any route will get you there. How were you able to kind of see through that clarity? You mentioned journaling and, and kind of putting pen to paper, but any tips or questions that we should be asking ourselves to get some of that clarity? Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I think, um, um, you know, sit, sitting down and it, it, and for me, it's always been journals. I mean, I, I could show you the four or five I got on my, I mean, I, I got journals for my business. I got journals for, um, you know, just mental toughness. I got journals on everything and, and just giving yourself the time and the space and, you know, and, and I've been very fortunate to have some amazing world-class, super wealthy, but, but world-class mentors in my life. And, and, you know, in 2003, I was asked by, you know, a billionaire, but he's a friend of mine now. He's like, Hey, what's your ideal life look like? Like if money wasn't an option, what would your ideal life look like? And I started writing stuff down, Matt. And I was like, this is never going to happen. Like it was so pie in the sky. Right. And the average and ordinary think that when they set big dreams like that, that they have to personally believe that it's possible and the big thinkers and the world-class thinkers know that you better not think it's possible at the time that you write it because you'll eventually raise your belief system to match. And, and so, you know, so I was just writing some stuff and, and dude, this really like dreaming, right? I was like, God, this guy's a freaking CPA and he's telling me to dream. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's where I, I tell everybody to start and just 
put aside judgments, put aside limiting beliefs and just sit there and just go, man, what, what would it look like? And, you know, as big as I thought it was, I mean, we, you know, we smoked those things. Um, you know, it wasn't even close. And then I think having a weekly check-in time, you know, whatever that is, where you look at it again. And, and then we, you know, maybe we, as, as we go, I can talk about reminders and morning routines and different things that, that I do to make sure that what I want is, is fresh in my face constantly and kind of the reasons behind it. But journaling, I mean, it's power. Like when you put pen to paper and you start writing, your thoughts actually, at least your, your, uh, you know, your, uh, limiting beliefs and your, um, your, uh, your little voice, right. That, uh, tells you you can't do stuff. It kind of shuts up when you start writing stuff. So it's uh, it's a pretty powerful technique. Yeah. I, uh, I always tell people to assume that money isn't the option, isn't the optical obstacle anymore. What would you be doing? What would you be spending your time with? And if you think that it's sitting on a beach drinking Mai Tais every day, then that will last about three weeks before you'll be tired of that. Then what, what would you do? Cause we're not put on this planet just to be sedentary and sit on a beach. Um, but I also like your weekly check-in. So I'm a pretty self-cognizant person or I like to self-reflect a lot, but I hired a coach this year. And I would say one of the best things that I've gotten from that and the biggest benefit is the weekly check-in because it's the accountability that I owe him every Saturday morning on how my week went. And there's a step of 10 questions that I fill out each week for him. And man, I don't know where that's going to go, but I think it would be really, really cool a decade from now to look back at it because I've had some struggling times through 2020 and some prosperous times through 2021, and then some mediocre times to just see my ups and downs and see how I was feeling. And shoot, Matthew McConaughey wrote his entire book just by looking at his old journal. So um, not every story goes from uh, I was struggling to now I'm a financial success. Did Could you talk to us a little bit about the roadblocks that you faced along the way or getting started down this journey? Yeah. So I, um, I do something on my, on my birthday. I've been doing it since I was 40. Where am I going to be at 41? Where am I going to be at 42? Anyway, it was cool when I turned 50 in August and I went back and looked. And that whole concept of when I wrote that down for the next year, it seemed gigantic. And now looking back at 50, it was like, why are you thinking so small? Anyway, that's, that's just cool stuff, man. And most people go their entire lives and journal your stuff, man. And, and, and I mean, that's going out to everybody because I tell people, like, if you're not journaling, you're, you're not really expecting a big life. Like you want your kids to see that. Anyway, I just want to weigh in on that because uh, I, I did the 10 year look back, dude. It was un- unbelievable what happened to us. Anyway, so, but I, um, so I, I, I did the moonlighting thing and then, and then completely fired my boss February 2000. Um, my oldest was born in 01. Um, I lost my mom. Uh, we got married. I mean, we had all this stuff. I'm leaving a career, I'm going from, you know, salary to zero. And, uh, so, so first marriage, um, wasn't very good, not very strong. And so, you know, we, we didn't last very long. And then, uh, she moved to, uh, Destin, Florida, ended up in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And then I married my second and last wife, Marlo. And, um, and so she came to us actually through my business and, you know, we knew pretty quick that this was going to be it. And, uh, so we got married and, but my divorce was expensive uh, I had to use, you know, credit card debt to pay her, you know, the value of half my business. I was paying her uh, $5,200 a month. Um, and I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I signed my own leases. 
uh, and my agents kind of pay me their rent. Nobody was paying. So basically, Matt, I had the equivalent of about four or five mortgage payments going out. And we're entering the Great Recession, 2007, 2008. And Marla and I are married. And, you know, I appear to be successful. But she had no idea how bad financially things were. I uh, was hiding it from her. And she wanted to merge our finances. And I'm like, hell no. I can't let her know what's going on, right? Um, And so, you know, it was a struggle. And so I'm, I'm losing money every month. Um, using debt to keep the doors open. And then, you know, I start really getting into personal growth and development. And we lived in this house in central Denver. It was freezing. We had like 1950 window panes. I mean, it was, was not a good place. It was loud. So I'd go out in my car in the garage in the winter and meditate. And so I'm meditating and the download from God came and it was let her manage the money. Single best financial decision I ever made in my life. And I mean, you probably know Mel Robbins. Mel Robbins has, you know, the five second rule. And, and, and I, you know, she hadn't had that book out then, but I abided by the five second rule, which was, you know, when you get an intuitive hit, you got to take action in the first five seconds or your egoic mind starts talking you out of what could be good for you. I mean, you're, you're one good thought away from an absolute transformation. So I didn't understand any of this stuff. And, but for whatever reason I took, I acted, I got out of my car. I went in, I sat down with Marlo, handed the reins over. Um, and then about a week later, I'm doing dishes. And if you've ever had a spouse, significant other, whatever guys, boyfriend, girlfriend, you could just feel their presence on you. And I look up and she just, I've never seen that look on her. I never want to see that look again. It was like anger, frustration, bewilderment. She's like, what'd you do? And she figured out how bad things were. Sat down. We had the come to Marlow meeting, which was a blast. And uh, she introduced the four letter word called a budget <laughs> to me. And I still didn't get it, man. And, and what I realized was, you know, optimism and delusion sleep in the same bed together. And so I did not want to look at my situation. It was all about it's going to change. I didn't want to own it. So fast forward, we had to get out of that house. Now we're renting and I'm out of money. And it's the first, the next day of the month, I have to pay my ex 5,200 bucks. I had no money. I ran out of all my debt options. So I had to go home and cause Marla was good with money and she had savings that was hers. So Matt, I had to approach her in the kitchen and convince her to give me money from her account to pay my ex-wife. It didn't turn out very good. And so my wife pissed off is not a good thing. And so we just got in the all-out war and screaming at me, throwing stuff. We we called the purse throwing incident because she actually grabbed her purse and threw it across the room and picked it up and threw it at me four or five times. Thank God she's a horrible aim. Um, but, uh, and then, and I just asked the question that ended it, why are we still married? And 
she stopped total silence went upstairs and then um that's when i realized i'm like oh my god wherever i've had wherever i've had a money problem in my life i've always been there and it was the first time in my life matt i actually took 100 responsibility and it was as clean clear as day that i had created the mess i created the divorce i created the debt like it was it was a real awakening and i sat down and i was just like you know, cause her, her irritation is like, we're smarter than this. We're better than this. Why is this happening? And it became clear to me that dad's broke. Mom's broke. Grandma's broke. Grandpa's broke. Great grandma, great grandpa. Like literally the, the poverty in family had gone for generations. And I'm like, Oh my God. I mean, I'm just repeating these unconscious thoughts and these beliefs and all that. So anyway, long and short of it, I just made a decision and Things had to change. We got back together the next day. She's like, uh, we're not declaring bankruptcy. We're not getting divorced. What are you going to do about it? I'm like, I'm all in like an Olympic athlete treats their sport. I'm going to figure out how my thinking is creating these financial results. So I'm going to get my ass up early. I'm going to read everything I can on this. I'm going to journal. I'm all in. I'm shifting it. And uh, and then her, her role was she she got on planes, trains, and automobiles, so to speak, and found, you know, wealthy world-class couples that had wealth in all areas of their life and figured out what they were doing and how they were thinking. I'm working on my belief systems. She's figuring out what they do. We would come together, we would meet. And, um, and what happened to us, Matt, is an absolute um, jaw-dropping financial transformation. I mean, just, just incredible what's happened to us in the last... 10 or 12 years. I mean, even the first two or three years. And so that, that's why we wrote our book, Couples Money, is it's really about that journey and what we did to, uh, to, to change it. So that's you know why I'm on here today. And I want to impact millions of people and, and, and teach them the same stuff that can uh, impact their lives in a positive way. One of my favorite things about researching you uh, is these little one-liners that you throw out there that I don't know if you're doing them on purpose or what, but two that I pulled out of there is you're one good thought away from a transformation. And I think that goes back to the power of sitting in quiet and some call it meditation. Some just call it, put your freaking phone away and just sit there for yep. a second and think yep. and write your thoughts. And the second thing you said was wherever your problems are, you were. And yep. I think that extreme ownership will help people understand that anything good and bad in your life that's happening to you is because of you. So if you start looking at it in that lens, you start taking control of the bad things that happen to you and try to divert them before they happen. But you mentioned that it was your thinking that got you there. What was it in your thinking or your mindset that put you in the situation that you were in? You know, one of the questions that I get is, where do you start? I started with getting some coaching from somebody that was financially independent. That's a good thing, right? So everybody wanted to coach me, but I asked them, hey, are you financially free? They're like, uh, mm, uh, I'm like, oh man, no, I, I don't need the guy that read the good book mm-hmm. that, that now is all of a sudden a guru. But uh, I found a coach. He was actually in his 70s. He's been financially independent for 40 some years. And one of the things he said, Matt, is he said, you no longer have a money problem. You have a money project. And that transformational for me. But he said, hey, get a journal. This is your financial independence journal. This is your money journal. And write the word money at the top and spend at least an hour on it. But write down everything you make up about that word. And what was enlightening for me, Matt, was we as humans 
are incredible storytellers. And so we make up stories about everything. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story of, of, of my buddy who had the right storytelling when he was a kid. But, but anyway, but, but I, I, wrote, I wrote down everything. And it was about it being hard. Money's hard to make. Money's hard to keep. You know, when's the shoe going to drop? Money won't make you happy. Can't take it with you. Doesn't grow on trees. My dad said, rich people are crooks. My mom said, you either have it or you don't. Um, like you didn't have a say in it. So literally I had 15, 20, I mean, it was, dude, it was a huge list. And when you looked at that and you say, okay, me plus my thought equals a result. It's my favorite formula on the planet. Me plus thought equals result. Result broke me thinking that makes up that gets that result. It was really obvious why. I was broke. So, but the cool part is, is those were the stories that I had. And the, the insight, the epiphany for me was all I had to do is start changing the story. So I started writing down what's the thoughts and belief systems of somebody that is financially independent. And then just, you know, inch by inch, just started shifting towards that. And instead of fighting limiting beliefs, I would just revise the thinking and get focused on what I wanted versus arguing with my ego, which it loves for that to happen. Um, anyway, we can talk a lot about that, but I got pretty good at um, understanding that my ego's super insane. And the, the less I pay attention to it, the less it bothers me. So anyway. You, you've read the book, The Ego, ego is the Enemy by uh, Ryan Holiday, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, your ego is the enemy and everything everything that you view in this world is through your lens. So I'm trying to do this thing now coming out of 2020 that don't judge people for the decisions they make because you don't know how you would act in that, that, that particular decision. So I want to get to this idea of sitting down with Marlo and having the conversation because I think a lot of trouble that happens in relationships around finances is there's no open communication, open dialogue. One person might care about it more than the other. One person says they don't even know anything about it when they have their own belief systems about it. Uh, side note, Ramit uh, Summit Samit, talks a little bit about that, that everybody has their own little expectation in history about money. But guys tend to have this, I want to solve it problem and have a little bit of fear of releasing control over their budgets. But that's actually kind of the turning point in your relationship. So any thoughts on how you can sit down with a spouse? Maybe it's the woman who has control over the finances and the guy doesn't care or the guy vice versa. Any, any places where folks can start to have that conversation? I was talking to a, a couple, you know, young couple yesterday. That, I mean, they're, they're, they're button heads on stuff. And I asked him, I'm like, what's the unifying goal? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, what, what's, what's your unifying goal? What's the goal that you guys are going after? He's like, I'm like, so she's got hers and you got yours. Yeah. Do you know what hers are? No. Does she know what yours are? No. So, so it's this whole clarity point. And, um, and so, so we were broke, dude. And, you know, so we had a quarter of a million of unsecured debt. And the feedback we were getting from the people that Marlo was interviewing is, as you know, what you focus on expands. And they were like, well, Chris, you keep focusing on debt. Has your debt continued to grow? I'm like, yeah, I left college with like 40 grand of debt. Now it's 250. So you're focusing on it. 
And, uh, you know, Joe Dispenza calls it a, a negative feedback loop, right? What you just, you just, your environment keeps creating your thinking, just goes on and on. So what was liberating for me is he said, okay, you got to get Chris focused on creating wealth. So what we did is we got that debt to manageable, manageable payments, manageable interest rates, right? So we weren't running out and we're still making the payments, but we had to save money and we had to prove we could save money. So we had nothing. And Marlos, I'm like, so what would make you feel good? She's like, well, we need to be cash millionaires. I'm like, okay, I got that. But, but what would be the, the, the point of relief that you really want? She's like, if we had a hundred thousand saved, it would make me feel, it would make you feel what? Because everything we do in life, we're hoping to get a feeling. And the thing is with goals and making changes, Matt, as you know, you got to develop what's called compelling emotional reasons to do it. So people that struggle think goal setting is a logical process. The world-class thinkers know that goal setting is an emotional process and you must have emotional drivers or it'll never work. So, so hundred, I'd set savings goals before because it just made sense to set savings goals. No. Now this one was, why do you, why do you care? She's like, I don't want to ever have another stressful financial conversation with you as long as we live. I'm like, damn. She's like, do you know what it feels like to be a woman who's a controller who needs security and to, to not know what's happening with our money and to have all this fear? She's like, do you know what it does to my body? Um, so we just had a deep conversation about how our lack was creating so much freaking stress on her. And so us guys want to fix stuff. I wanted to fix that. I didn't want that. My kids were in Atlanta, Georgia. I hadn't seen them for about, there's about a year when I didn't see them. Dude, that was freaking painful. Um, I knew that I was the guy that was going to get my family out of this poverty loop. You know. So what, what I did, Matt, is we developed a unifying goal is $100,000 saved. And we developed compelling emotional reasons to make it happen. And we reviewed it. And so she had her part of driving income, right? Then the other thing we did is we thought about different ways we could raise our income. So actually having a brainstorming session on bringing more revenue into our home, different streams of income that tie into what we do. It doesn't cause us to lose focus. But we had our reasons. And then part of it was you know, making sure that I could see an image and visualize the feeling of us hitting that goal. And I could talk the rest of the podcast about that. I won't, but, but just feeling that and making sure my subconscious knows through emotion and feeling what it is I'm going after. And, and so, so unifying goal with reasons and, and then dude, so once we had that conversation, you could not get me to blow a dollar on anything that was not moving us closer. I was a freaking man possessed. And, and then we had a weekly check-in. Where are we now? So our first goal, 100,000 100, seemed like Mount Everest. No, we had to get to base camp one. So my whole focus was base camp one. So it was 10 grand. And 10 grand was the hardest. And then the weekly check-in. How much closer are we? We had a set meeting, usually involved a glass of wine, Saturday afternoon. And it was, hey, are we a dollar closer? Are we 100 bucks closer? And the dopamine hits of your brain actually come from being on the path 
to where you're going. It's actually not sitting She just told me we, we just hit a major, I'm going to goosebumps, a major net worth milestone goal. She just said, hey, I think we did it. I'm like, right before this. And it's freaking nuts. So you can create momentum just in that first meeting and making sure you have a weekly check and that you don't reschedule on each other. And that's how you get on the same page, a unifying goal. Yeah. I, um, when I first started down this journey, I just logged into my personal capital account every single day just to see where my money was. And even though it was only moving a dollar or 50 cents or 30 cents at a time, it did two things. One, it was the path, right? We, we are going down this path of prosperity, not necessarily for the goal, but who we become in the process. And two, it just put that in my mind every single day and reminded me this is where I was going. You mentioned unifying goals too, and I can't breeze over this. Um, I've had relationships in the past where I felt like that I was doing things and they were doing things and together we didn't have anything. And when you don't have that unifying goal, I'm not saying that you should do everything together. I just don't feel like you can grow as a relationship unless you have a something that you both are working on together. Talk to me more about the emotional versus logical, because I, I don't know how to ask this question, but how do, how do I know whether something's a logical goal or an emotional goal? Maybe, maybe talk us through that. Yeah. So, so the logic is, you know, the hundred thousand dollars saved. The emotion is what is the feeling I'm going after? Okay. So, and for me, it was financial relief. And anyone that's listening, relief is very powerful. And the emotion is usually tied back to people, right? So there can be emotion with, you know, I want this car, I want this home. I mean, we, we have we have some we have some cool material things, but you know, that that doesn't that doesn't really float your boat. I mean, it's like, and I got a couple small ones. I want to get after, but, but really it's all about the people around you. It is about, for me now it's about impact. Back then it was about relieving stress from my wife. That's emotional. Her in pain was not good. And I had to change that. Me not seeing my kids, total crap. But then, you know, as we started coming out of it and my kids started getting older, you know, having your kids watch you win Dude, oh my God, one of the best feelings on the planet. I mean, I could talk about just dreams that'd happen when I'd be visualizing and imaging, and my outside world had gave me no reflection that things were going to happen. But it's amazing when you see it, visualize it, image it, and you have an emotional experience about it, how that actually will translate in your life. You know, so just those experiences with your family, uh, you know, um, retiring your spouse or you're taking care of mom and dad. So the emotion is always tied back to helping people making a difference. I don't yeah, know if that I, answered your question or not, but it did for sure. I, I don't have kids, but I can only imagine that one of the best things you can give a child is to see them or for them to see you set a goal and achieve it because it gives them confidence that they can do the same. Um, and it probably just impacts the entire family a ton. Um, you do a lot of coaching, a lot of advising, a lot of talking to couples. What are some of the, the beliefs that you see people have about money that don't serve them? Do you have any, uh, any off the top of your head? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I think the big stuff is the, just the hard part, um, the, it, it being hard. Um, 
a, a, a super insidious mind virus is one day I had that one day I'm going to make it happen. One day I'm going to be successful. Um, my coach is like, it just keeps being one day away, bud. Why is it not happening now? Um, that was a big mind virus, um, that, that I see. Um, you know, I think going back and, and what did your parents tell you, right? Cause from, from ages zero to four, you have no ability to accept or reject ideas. All you're doing is just, you're just taking it in. Um, uh, oh, a big one. This is especially for guys. I'll just make more. Oh my Lord, brother. Holy cow. I had a guy in front of me. He was a seven figure CPA accountant guy for years. And his wife is like, you know, CPA is an exec, sharp, huge ego. They're broke. And she drags him into my office. And he's like, I don't know why I'm here. You know, all that. And she's like turning 60 and we've got no money. That's why we're here. Well, you know, he's all shut down. He's like, well, I'll just make more. I'm like, huh, how long have you had that? Yeah. So what decisions have you made financially based on I'll just make more? Dude, a, a litany of stupid investment decisions. Because it doesn't matter if I lose my money here, I'll just go make more. If you hear anyone say that, hopefully you got a good relationship with them. I usually say, hey, don't take this. Don't take offenses. You're broke, aren't you? And hundred percent every time they're like, how do you know? I'm like, cause you're not taking care of, of what you got. I, I, I did it. I know what it looked like. I'll just make more. Once my income gets to this level, then I'll get my crap together. Yep. <laughs> Famous last words, man. Yeah. So those are big ones. Yeah. I think one thing I see a lot too, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this is I don't know about money, so I'm too scared to do anything because I'm worried about risking of losing money. And I try to tell people, like, you don't need to know everything. Just pick one or two things that you do want to go learn about and start down that path and start doing little deposits towards that action until it starts snowballing. At the very least, you're going to know about what you're doing in, whether it's real estate or stocks or uh, preferred bonds or anything like that, just start going down that path. And then that'll force you to be around it and cognizant of it. Do you, do you see a lot of that in your office? Cause I, I, I'll end it with, um, when people say that to me, ultimately what they end up doing is just putting it in a savings account, which I think is probably the worst place you can put your money, uh, beyond just giving it away to Easily. some, to, to, to some retailer or buying stupid things. But, um, and that I don't think serves them in the long term. It's just avoiding the problem because they don't know about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, at, at that point, I just you know, I just get curious with them and just say, okay, so what is that? What is that creating for you? Right. Um, it, 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 if the next five years is like the last five years, what's that going to be like? How are you going to feel? Right. And so, so getting them to think and how's that price or how's that approach helped you? How's it hurt you? And then one of the greatest questions my coach gave me years ago that caused me to get my head out of my, you know, what was who pays the price for that approach? 
who pays the price for that? And, and so it's just, is, is it serving you or is it not serving you? And, and they're like, it's not serving me. Then my next question, Matt is, well, do you care? And if they don't care, as you know, I can't coach apathy, man. Like an apathetic person is God bless them. Um, but if, if they're apathetic, I can't change them. But if they're like, you know, I, I do care. Well, and then, yeah, then it's what you're talking about. Then it's, um, yeah. And if you got anybody out there, I, I, I don't even think I put this, my, my business partners wrote a book called how money works. Stop being a sucker. And, um, if anybody wants to get a free copy of that, we'll, we'll give them information at the end, but it was the number one selling financial book of all of 2020 and 2021. And it is fifth grade English with colors, pictures, and characters. It is, um, my, my partners have done 155 media appearances because it is the most approachable financial book in the history of financial books. So anyway, if anybody's like, I need that, just tell them to reach out to me and I'll, I'll put one in the mail to them. I just ask that they actually read it. So, um, yep. Yeah. And there's $10 trillion sitting in savings accounts, brothers, uh, Matt at 0.09%, 0.09%. At that rate, by the way, everybody, it would take you 800, 800 years for your money to double. Yep. Yep. And, and, <laughs> and by that time, inflation will have eaten it all away. So it doesn't even yeah. matter that it's double. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Chris, I want to shift this now to our, our last round here. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book or what is something that you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Um, I got a lot of favorite books, but, I'll, but I guess I'll pick one. Um, I'm a big Bob Proctor fan. So um, his book, You Were Born Rich. Um, if I had to pick one book, um, that has been absolutely transformational to me because it, it is really how you create the thinking. And when people, I'm, when people are like, I, I, you're born rich, and they're like, no, I wasn't. Well, you actually were. And then you got programmed to believe you weren't. And so now we got to get you back to where you were when you came on this planet. So that's a great book. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about that, um, but it, it sounds very similar to, I know Buffett has this whole thing, like there's a one in one trillion chance that you were ever going to be born. And the fact that you were born, you were lucky. So let's start there. Um, I believe that the person, our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the things that you do every single day and the habits that you have. What is something that you do every day or what is a habit that you have? Yeah, I, I have a, a pretty, uh, it's almost insane, but it doesn't have to be insane for people is I, I just have a great morning routine. So I'm up early. I take a cold shower. <laughs> In Denver. <laughs> In Denver, people are like, why do you take a cold shower? I'm like, because our brain is constantly trying to negotiate with us what we should and should not do. So I, and I, I, I stole this from Tony Robbins, but um, if I can win that first negotiation of the day, and get the cold shower out of the way for a few minutes. Um, my confidence is up and then it's uh, a lot of coffee, um, great books, journaling, imaging, visualizing. Um, it's, it, it varies, but, but really, uh, also I, I have a practice of forgiveness. We could do a whole show on that, Matt, but, uh, a practice on forgiveness and, and making sure that as I tell everyone, it's not, it's not time management, it's energy management. So I want to make sure as I'm rolling into the day, that my energy is rocking and, uh, and that day gets set in that routine. And if you spend 30 minutes a day in that routine, think about what you want, imaging, visualizing, dreaming, uh, over the course of a year, it's, it's like four and a half working weeks 
of, uh, of, of growth and development and focus and the compounding over five or 10 years is uh, jaw dropping. So yeah. Anyway. And talk about clarity. I mean, if you spend 30 minutes a day thinking about what you really want in life, I promise by the end of seven days, 14 days, 30 days a year, you will have a lot more clarity on what you do want in your life. Our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? You know, it was, it was right around 2007. It was uh, one of my mentors back in the day. She, uh, I always get goosebumps when I think about this, but she looked me in the eye and she said, you'll never know how good you can be until money's behind you. Yeah. She said, you'll never know how good you can be until money's behind you. Meaning if what is consuming your thinking is financial stress, which has been my family's whole life, a big chunk of my life, and you're in this survival mode there's no way that you can ever become the best version of yourself. And so one of the reasons you want to get financially independent is that so you don't have to think about it. You're going to manage it and take care of it, but you're really, your brain's freed up to, to, to get better and extend service, which is what we're here to do, man. We're here to grow and extend service and we will never be fully fulfilled unless we're growing and making an impact for other people. So that that's it. I, I believe in intentionality. I believe that most people don't understand how much money issues, whether you're financially free, financially abundant, or struggling financially, actually plays and holds a, a spot in your subconscious. And when all of that can become behind you, you will become more intentional. You'll pursue the passions. You will be intentional with the people you're with and those that you love. So I I, I love that one. That that's that's a really good one. Our fourth one is: What's the thing that you're most proud of in your life? You know, I mean, there's probably a few things there. Definitely proud of my marriage. Definitely proud of my kids are just unbelievable. Um, but but the most proud is, you know, I, I had that, I called a moment of truth. And it's it's when, you know, the purse got thrown and, you know, I'm sitting there blaming the world and then had the awakening. Um, most proud of, you know, kind of manning up right there and just saying, you know what, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to go back, get a job. I'm not going to take the easy route. Um, I'm going to do the work and I'm going to transform myself, my family, and, uh, and, and ultimately I'm going to impact generations for my family. So I, I, I think um, there was a lot of fear around there, but, but the, the choice to be courageous in spite of that, you know, crap show that was going on around me and, um, um, you know, forever uh, will have a tremendous amount of pride for, uh, for stepping up and leveling up at that moment. And becoming an Olympic athlete in financial uh, thinking and knowledge. I, yeah. I love that analogy. Yep. Yep. Um, our last one is, if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Uh, you know, I, I saw that when you, when you set that over me. You know, I think it'd be Nelson Mandela, man. I, just because, uh, I, you know, I've been working with some coaches and in the last couple of weeks, just these people that I, 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 don't, I don't even see them face to face. We talk on the phone, but I had an interesting... Uh, a conversation uh, with this gal named Karen. She's like, well, I want to go to the next level. I want to double. She's like, okay, um, make a list of everyone you have a grievance towards and write down what you think about them and then call me back. And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? She's like, just do it. So I had a list, been pretty good at this of forgiving and dude, it was nuts. What I came up about those people and what I wrote about them, pretty petty. And she said, oh, now we have a look inside of your ego, <laughs> right? So 
this thing on projection. And so, uh, and I've had a few instances, I have a pretty peaceful existence at a few instances this week where people trip my trigger and, and I'd like to sit down with Nelson Mandela and just go, dude, how did you forgive? Right. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, you know, he, he's at a hundred, I'm at like a one on this. And so I I think, um, uh, and I had a coach a long time ago. He said, until you forgive, you're going to be broke. I was giving a talk in Texas last week to a bunch of people. Some advisors were thriving. Some were struggling. And they're like, what are you telling me? The fact that I can't forgive my ex-wife is holding me back from getting to the next level here. I'm like, yep. Yep. Get on it. Forgiveness is a huge, huge component for you having the life that you want. So anyway. Yeah. The, the more I learn about Nelson Mandela, the more I'm inspired by forgiving, but also living the life that he lived and the leadership style that he had, because he could have easily sent everybody out that was against him uh, out of his agency, out of his administration. Instead, he brought a lot of them into the fold to say, we are one unified country now, and they have to see and be a part of people that disagree with them. Um, so I, I don't know. There, I think there's a lot we can to, in today's society learn from uh, that kind of thought process. So um, Chris, this has been fantastic. I want to be cognizant of your time. So we'll kind of end things there. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you, list, uh, connect with you, where's the best place we can put, point them? You know, our, our website is, is couplesmoney.com. And uh, so the, the, the book and some of my talks are out there. There's a store there and I actually have a free a one hour complimentary coaching session on all things that we just talked about, um, helping people do a deep dive. So happy to, uh, happy to do that. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, at CL, L as in Larry, CL Felton. Um, my main contribution on social media is through Instagram and, uh, that's CF, uh, F as in Frank CF underscore, uh, E the number two E so CF underscore E to E and I'm doing five, you know, weekly posts there on just this stuff. It's really me recording my journey of like, these are the things that actually made an impact in my life. So I spend a lot of time on that. Um, and then anybody wants that free, how money works book, uh, you can go to, uh, uh, wealthwave.com forward slash Chris Felton. Uh, that's, that's my, or actually, let me give you a, a better one. How money works, how money forward slash Chris Felton. And if you scroll down, you can, uh, you'll send me an email and just say, Hey, was on Matt's show, put a book in the mail to me and uh, we'll get one mailed off 17 bucks on Amazon. We'll send it to you complimentary. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the time, tons of value and uh, look forward to having you back on the show soon. Thanks brother. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.